Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni. And I'm Tefra Jemian. And you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Before we dig in, we'd like to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where we're recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyagahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today, and every day, to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities of the area. So, folks, it is, at the time that this episode is released, the day after Father's Day, and we thought it would be nice to do a little Father's Day episode this week. Now, it's a little funny for us to do a Father's Day episode. Why is that? Because neither of us actively have dads currently. Yeah, that's true. However, I did have a dad. Wow. Humble brag. (laughs) Uh, My father passed away 11 years ago from ALS, um, but he was the person who taught me how to cook. He was the person who really established my food knowledge uh, when I talk about my Armenian family, uh, Italian family, that's all from my dad's side. Um, And he really shaped the way that I approach food. Uh, So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And, you know, I am a dad. And Mm -hmm. uh, while I don't have a, you know, dad myself, uh, I did, you know, spend a lot of time with my grandpa growing up. And, you know, my godfather was also pretty formative in my, like, cooking experiences. So, uh, you know, we've got a lot to say about dads this week on Daddy's Day. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fun to... You know, when we talk about Father's Day, I was reading this thing online that said that, like, marketing's idea of what a dad is is about 30 years out of date and they need to catch up because they're still recommending, like, you know, World War II history books for dads, whereas most dads are probably more interested in, like, World War III, Nintendo. (laughs) Um, Also, that. You know, I think our, our approaches to Mother's Day, Father's Day, Parents' Days have been expanding, and we're seeing more and more discussion around less quote-unquote traditional parenting experiences and just more of an acknowledgement of the breadth of what parenting can look like. Yeah. Obviously, you and I are parents. We've been thinking a lot about uh, parenthood yeah. <laughs> and, you know, how our own upbringings have affected that. And I think it's just nice to have a conversation. At first, we were like, do we need to bring a guest on who has like a more traditional father figure, right? <laughs> a more current functional um, existing dad. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, this is the reality of what parenting looks like for a mm-hmm. lot of us, for a lot of people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that matters, too. Yeah, that's it. And and it's interesting, like, you know, as a, like, non-binary couple who, like, you know, our, our kids do call us, like, mom and papa or whatever. Yeah. But, like, it, it, it always is kind of a little bit, like, odd, these sort of gendered parent holiday celebrations, right? Like, we, we've kind of just accepted them for yeah, ourselves. But, yeah. like, there's nothing, there's no, like... There's no non-binary parents' day? There is, in fact. Is it's there uh, April 14th or 18th? It's in April. Okay. There is a non-binary parents' day. But then we have the thing of, like, it would be celebrating both of us right. on that day. And that's, like, annoying. Yeah. Like, bit. I like to have my own day. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, it. So, you know, 
this week's about me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and you like grilling. Yeah, I really do. Well, and that's the thing. And this was a thing that I found like really challenging. Like my first Father's Day was like, you know, and I mean, obviously Father's Day has always been challenging for me for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. No dad. What about you? But uh, my first like Father's Day as a parent was really tricky for me because I was like, well, am I a father? Like, am I a dad? And it's like, well, yeah, I am. I am a dad. You know, I get called Papa. Yeah. And and I did the thing that makes the baby. And like <laughs> <laughs> I made that Amazon order and I like struggled with this a little bit because like actually a lot of the sort of traditional Father's Day gifts are like right up my alley. Like I really do like grilling and I do at least to some extent like sports and like tech or whatever. I always love when you go on like Amazon or whatever around Father's Day and they're like, here's the gift for every kind of dad in your life. Here's the motorcycle dad. Here's the grill dad. Here's the uh, tech dad. And the tech dad is always some like scrawny dude with glasses and a beard who like just likes iPads or whatever. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, you know what? Yeah, sure. I like all of these things. Yeah. Um, and And that kind of challenged my like notion of like queerness and parenting and like gave me imposter syndrome a little because I was like, oh, am I really non-binary if I like identify as a dad and it's like well yeah there's a lot of like non-binary dad energy yeah yeah absolutely it's so funny hearing you bring this up because it's reminding me of when I had to get Father's Day presents for my dad Mm. who was absolutely not into any of those things sure like we had a George Foreman electric grill he enjoyed grilling like merguez and veggies (laughs) on sure but like my dad was not a griller my dad disdained organized sports like he was like a bit of a tech dude but he kind of missed the really big tech wave like that was just starting really well and he was a little on the older side too right no but he loved technology like he had a blackberry as soon as blackberries were a thing he Mm -hmm. like he loved gadgets he loved toys but like he 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 liked like for a while he went through a big sailboat phase for a while (laughs) he went through a big vespa phase where like all he wanted in life was a vespa i feel like sailboats and Um, vespas are a very european dad yeah (laughs) (laughs) well that's it and so like like i think i got him ties for a while because he always needed ties for sunday Mm. because i felt like there was like not really anything else to to do like I think I got him like a nice enameled rock for a paperweight one okay. year but like yeah he liked he was a man of taste and culture he liked pretty things sure. he liked cool things right. um but he wasn't a like baseball hat guy sure he yeah. was a like handcrafted straw fedora guy <laughs> but that's the thing right like your dad was European Yes, at heart. Which and is that so feels funny because so I forget that so often. Yeah, yeah. But that's it, right? Yeah. Like I, I think that the like baseball hats and, and grilling dad thing is such a North American trope. Mm-hmm. And and like I mean, you know, I think probably it's extended a lot by now. But there is something to the like, you know, culture is different in Europe. It makes sense to me that like he grew up where like, no, that's masculinity. You drive a motorcycle, you go sailing with your uncle. Yeah. You know, I mean I I think he had neither of those things in Europe growing up in a poor family in the south of France but but I get it yeah, I get it yeah. and like yes good coffee good chocolate sure good good charcuterie yeah good cheese these were all things that that he enjoyed yeah. and appreciated I mean it's really all food it, it was really it's food <laughs> right yeah well that's it um and so that's why we figured you know we can do a, a father's day episode about food and fathers because yeah. like fathers and food do happen in some capacity for everybody right so like 
let's talk a little bit about the food that our, you know, our fathers, father like, figures. What about food did you? Well, yeah, father figures. That's yeah. a good way. Yeah. Well, you've heard me talk about mine a lot, and I feel like I've talked about it on the show a lot, and I feel like you've talked much less about yours. So I would really sure. like to hear more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I guess I'll start with grandpa. So, like, you know, my grandpa, who, you know, Toby also calls grandpa. Um, which is cute. He always lived like close to us when I was a kid Mm -hmm. until we moved out to Montreal and he stayed in Vancouver. And, you know, then I would visit once a year and did that basically every summer for most of my youth until I got old enough that I started having to pay for tickets myself. And then, you know, that stopped because I didn't have that kind of money. Um, But he is someone who really likes cooking. He is a like, you know... (laughs) little like renaissance man from eastern europe he you know he grew up a dancer and he you know had to spend some time in the army during the 60s i guess and like you know he he spent a lot of his army time traveling around and dancing as well and like eating food all over europe and he's he's someone who's always kind of had that like cultural connection there where he really likes to like get to know a place by the food of the mm-hmm. place and and he you know connects with people by food and he always was he's always someone been someone who goes out of his way to like talk to the wait staff at a place like especially if they're like connected to mm-hmm. the food in some way instead of just being you know some teenager who just needs money right and like that i think instilled something in me of yeah. like how to like be in service places Mm -hmm. as a customer you know because like I think it's easy to like go to a restaurant and just order yeah you know not make small talk whatever but grandpa will always go out of his way to like get the name of the waiter and like chat with the waiter a little bit and like find out you know how they're connected to the restaurant and like you know a lot of the time it's it's like listen old white men of a certain age are going to be a little racist sometimes um but it's the well-meaning kind where he's like, okay, we're in a Japanese restaurant. Are you Japanese to the waiter? And like nine times out of 10, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, great. Good job, grandpa. This is real uncomfortable. Now. <laughs> but, but he goes out of his way to like get to know the people, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I've always appreciated that. I, I think that it is nice to remind wait staff that they're people mm. sometimes. Cause I think that when you work a service job, you can really get treated like you're just like a tool a lot. And, uh, yeah, and, and so we would eat out a lot with yeah. him because, like, he's a good cook, but he just prefers to go out to eat. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and that really cemented, like, a love of, like, restaurants and of, like, international cuisine for mm-hmm. me because he, he's not someone who will just stick to one or two places, mm-hmm. you know? He'll go, like, oh, like, what's good around here? Do you want to try this? Do you want to try this? Like, let's try a new thing today. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. There's something There's something really special about that for me. Yeah, it's so fun because I think I've said this before, but your grandpa and my dad were around the same age, a couple years apart. And it makes me so sad that my dad never had an opportunity to meet. I mean, you, obviously. Sure, yeah. (laughs) But but also your grandpa because like that whole experience. Yeah, that's we didn't go out to eat often because there were six of us um, children and then my parents. But when we did, it was the same thing, like chatting. What's good here? Because my dad grew up working in restaurants. He Mm -hmm. grew up uh, a waiter in Paris. A busboy, he has a, had a story about getting dragged out of the restaurant by his ear because he popped the champagne cork in front of guests. And the maitre d' came over and, like, grabbed him by his ear, dragged him into the kitchen and was like, never, you never. 
<laughs> you never do that. Incredible. Um, and so he was really, you know, I mean, my grandparents had a restaurant. Like, he was very comfortable in the mm-hmm. food world. And I didn't get to see it often because we didn't go out often. But uh, it was a similar thing. Even if we were just going getting fast food, like, sure. on road trips. Like, because we never got fast food. But if we were on a road trip, he would go get a Big Mac. And sure. he loved that Big Mac. He savored that Big Mac, you know? It was like one a year. Of course. Mm. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, right? And you can you can extend that love even to the, like, pimply teenager who's yeah. selling you a Big Mac and, like, doesn't give a shit about the Big yeah. Mac, right? You can, you can remind people that they are people. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. so... I love that. I love that sort of joie de vie, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. We would go out a lot, eat a lot of food, whatever. And then when he would cook... It was always, you know, meals that he grew up with, foods that he grew up with. And, you know, my grandpa's Hungarian and, like, a little bit of German influence in there. Um, His parents had immigrated from Germany to Hungary, I think, or maybe his grandparents. I forget exactly. Um, But, you know, also those countries are, like, next to each other. So there's there's a lot of sort of crossover food-wise. And so for me, like, the food that kind of really stands out with grandpa is... Chicken paprikash, mm-hmm. which is like a Hungarian chicken dish. Oh, did he like... teach you how to make that? No, my godfather did. Okay. <laughs> um, so good. You make it so good. Yeah. And and schnitzel would yeah. be the other one, right? So like paprikash, schnitzel, and like that. Those are the two kind of big ones for me. Yeah. And like, you know, like I learned it from him and I learned it from my godfather, but yeah. my godfather taught me a little bit more directly. Yeah. Those dishes are both so warm and so like homey, you know, yeah. like for people who aren't familiar, chicken paprikash is... It depends on the sort of way that you specifically make it. Uh, some people do it a little bit drier. Some people do it a little bit more stewy almost. Mm-hmm. I lean in the stew direction a little bit more just because I think that goes a little bit further. But basically, uh, I take a lot of chicken. Usually I do like boneless, skinless thighs because mm-hmm. that's cheap and, you know, <laughs> easy. Uh, and then you cook it with a shitload of paprika. Mm-hmm butter or you know schmaltz depending on how you're you're feeling about you know animal fats and meat together mm-hmm. kind of you get like a red it's it's tomatoey it's like i don't even really know like it's like a gravy it's like a butter yeah. chicken gravy a little bit only. honestly it's really not that different from butter chicken it's just a slightly different flavor profile like i always yeah. when people are like oh what is that the first thing I go to most of the time is like, oh, it's just like Eastern European butter chicken. Mm-hmm. And there's onions in it, right? There's like a nice like yeah, I usually buttery do, oniony thing. Yeah, I usually do onions and like bell peppers of like various kinds. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's something satisfying about keeping it all kind of the same color. So mm-hmm. I try to go for like an onion that's like white or yellow and then like, you know, yellow and orange peppers just yeah. to kind of keep the color scheme the same. But like I've done it with green peppers before because I that's just my favorite kind of pepper and like you know but but that's it right the main thing it really is just those two ingredients that are the important part the chicken yeah. and the paprika yeah um, yeah and it's delicious it's magic yeah, yeah it's really good it's so good I had never had paprikash before you made it for me um I think I have still only had your paprikash probably uh I love it and I would eat it every day I love it so much it is delicious it is so good yeah, well, that's it. Yeah. It's it's uh, yeah. So Wikipedia is telling me here it's a a meat typically simmered in, for an extended period of time in a sauce that starts with a paprika infused roux. So like yeah, yeah, you know, I usually will dry rub the chicken as well and yeah. you know sear it off that way with the paprika first, and then also do the roux and you know build the whole thing that way. But there's a lot of variations. Um, that's the thing about like 
these sort of peasant dishes is yeah. that like they really get passed around from yeah. family to family and you kind of figure it out. Um, you know, my grandpa's family were not Jewish, so they used butter instead of chicken fat. But a yeah. lot of Hungarian Jews will use chicken fat because, yeah. you know, you don't want to cook it with butter because yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. meat. People kind of go back and forth on how many vegetables and various seasonings and whatnot go in yeah. it as well. Like, uh, I don't personally put garlic in it, but a lot of people do. <laughs> um, a lot of the time people use sour cream. Okay. Uh, yeah. Like, not necessarily during the cooking, usually, like, at the end or yeah. sometimes mixed into the sauce, too. That like kind of leans it yeah. almost in a, like, a... Uh, um Oh, what's it called? Stroganoff. Yeah, there we go. That leans it in a stroganoff direction. Yeah, a little Which bit. Which makes sense, same region. Well, that's exactly it, right? It's it's very um, it's very much a dish of its like geography, um, and that's that's really nice for me. Like, it's nice to have these kinds of dishes that like feel like they speak to my soul a little bit in terms yeah. of like history and and family connections. And I think it's really lovely too because like we've talked a little bit about this, but like like. All right, it's gonna it's coming back to white supremacy. Mm-hmm. I, I know we do this always, but there's this like narrative of white people food being bland and unseasoned. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, that's there are so many scholars much smarter than me who have done this distinction of like whiteness itself is a product of white supremacy. White mm-hmm. supremacy created this product of whiteness in mm-hmm. order to assert dominance. Right. Right. Um, and it becomes monolithic and it wipes out all these little niche food cultures like Hungarian food, which is highly flavorful, lots of seasoning of different kinds. Or, you know, all of the white people in the like Middle East and Western Europe who or Eastern Europe, sorry, who have a lot of flavorful, spicy food. Mm-hmm. And even the fact that like globally food has always traveled around you know curries were immensely popular in england in the right. 1800s yeah because they came from india because and there was good. yeah which yeah. i mean white supremacy dominance colonialism but like yeah uh, the, the, the food has always traveled around and also a lot of indigenous like cultures like when you are in the place where you grew up and you have worked that land and you have made that food you figured out how to make it taste good. Yeah, exactly. Well, and and the thing is, like, the thing about the, like, white food being bland thing is that I think that that comes from North America-focused culture, especially, where, and that makes sense, because the media is, like, massively, you know, produced in the United States and, like, England, right? And early settlers in the U.S. were primarily from England and Ireland, and those cultures didn't have like the strongest seasoning until colonialism well i mean i think it's also it's also about transplanting yourself across an ocean not having access to the same yeah seasonings that you're used to yeah um because it's much more expensive to get them to north america than than to have them in europe totally and not making an effort to learn the indigenous food culture and the seasoning that you can get locally now there are places where of course that like people did that yeah um of course well and that's the thing right about the the white food being bland is a generalization yeah (laughs) but Uh, there's there's a really interesting piece i read a while ago i'll see if i can find it um pinpointing the current like bland white people food culture mm -hmm. um at the industrial revolution and then world war one yeah uh like we see in downton abbey when the large (laughs) estates stopped being able to support chefs 
who mm-hmm. were trained and carried food history and made beautifully seasoned food, started relying instead on canned, unprepared food, which was bland. Mm-hmm. You had a bunch of people who did not know how to cook because yep. they did not have cooking traditions passed down because their families had had everything cooked by servants. Mm-hmm. And now there are no more servants, so there's nobody to pass that food tradition on. So you have a whole class, which is the ruling class, lose this food knowledge Mm -hmm. no longer know this food knowledge and it really comes directly from this rise of capitalism that came after world war one it's very interesting yeah um and again like i'm not a scholar in this field there are many people who are who can write much more intelligently (laughs) about this but it's a really fascinating history and I, i would encourage people to look that up honestly especially if you're white especially if you're somebody who doesn't feel like you have a defined food culture Mm -hmm. um to lock into it can be really helpful to kind of seek out those roots and and figure that out and also you know it's okay to like your food culture like if you come from a food culture that makes like you know potato ham casserole that's shit's delicious enjoy it the thing to it yeah the thing about (laughs) bland food is that nine times out of ten the reason it's bland is because you're not putting enough salt in it exactly and that is diet culture (laughs) the two the two main culprits really of white food being bland are like white supremacy and colonialism and diet culture and if you start to break those two slash three things down you're gonna have better food exactly that's it that's what it takes at the end of the day figure out (laughs) figure out what the root of that is and stomp it out and make better things yeah um but yeah that's it so so for me like you know chicken paprikash is like that kind of dish that really speaks to my like ancestral roots i guess like it really really feels like it's the one that like hits home the most um and the other one would be just you know schnitzel of various kinds Uh, yeah another thing i had not had until we started dating and another thing i love let's make schnitzel tonight yeah okay let's do it we'll have to like get stuff for it but we can do that we need to get food anyway yeah exactly (laughs) Uh, but that's it and and schnitzel is one that i didn't learn from grandpa or from my godfather but ate a lot with grandpa specifically because yeah. uh, grandpa loves schnitzel you know grandpa lives in a small town in bc and uh well you know i can say port alberni grandpa yeah. lives in port alberni and port alberni is real small yeah and port alberni doesn't have a ton going on uh but it's really cute and they've yeah. got you know it has like a decent amount going on for they have a small a town fantastic all donut shop they have a fantastic such donut a good shop. donut shop well, and that's what i was going to say is that like such a good It's a small, small, small town, but everyone there are like artists and artisans. And they have a very good little Bavarian restaurant. (laughs) Bavarian being, you know, like a kind of chunk of of Germany. Yeah. And uh, they do really good schnitzel and really good like Cordon Bleu and like just all these like really delicious like fried battered meat dishes. And when I smell schnitzel, when when I smell that like... There's a really specific way that schnitzel smells when it's happening. And like that smell hits me from like across a room and I'm taken home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's for me as a dad, (laughs) like (laughs) I want to make sure that our kids have foods that they like associate with us. You know, I want to make sure that our kids have these foods that when they smell them, when they like hear about them other places, they feel that connection, you know, and you know, our kids are a little picky. They're, they're at a picky stage right yeah. now in terms of like what they will and won't eat. But that doesn't mean we can't still make those foods and yeah. can't still make things that smell really distinct and smell like home, you know, because yeah. kids grow out of pickiness. Yeah. 
like nobody stays picky forever yeah you know your your taste buds develop you see the same meal being eaten by your parents enough times and you eventually say okay like i'm willing to try this now you get a little more adventurous as you get older and can just handle things a little bit better and it's really important to me to pass that on yeah. you know so I, I really like when i get the chance to like make all of my really like fatty eastern european foods that smell like heaven when you mm. walk in the door because that that to me feels like giving them a piece of our family that they're not going to get necessarily because of like fractured family relationships yeah. and distance and like like my family being like six people yeah. <laughs> total spread out across you know two three countries like it's it it feels important to give them something you know and food really does that for us like I think this is something I've I've talked about I think before but one of the things that I always think about and think about my father's family specifically is how I've talked about how our food culture is a mashup of Italian Armenian and Provencal cooking and that's really unique and really lovely but my great-grandfather when he fled Armenia um, during the genocide, he came to the south of France with his second wife, his first wife and son he was separated from. We've never been able to find them. They were, my my grandfather looked for him and looked for him, but they mm. couldn't find him. So when my great-grandfather moved to Provence with his second wife and his children, including my grandfather, well, my grandfather, I think, was born in Provence, uh, he really tried to just kind of shut the door on Armenia. They didn't really speak Armenian anymore. They didn't teach Armenian to the kids, at least. Um, as far as I know, they didn't go to an Armenian church. Like, they really didn't didn't seek out Armenian community, it seems like, right. uh, from what I've been told, anyhow. Um, and they were just kind of interested in, in living their lives and, you know, putting things behind them. But, of course, they still cooked Armenian food, right? Because right. that is the food they learned. <laughs> and and my, um, my aunt told me this lovely memory of eating manti which is like armenian little armenian dumplings that they just called uh, petit bateau little boats because they look like little boats sure. um which now i want to learn how to make but there's something about like even when we have generational blockages or generational breakages um a lot of the time we keep these food things going mm-hmm. even unconsciously yep. sometimes you know like we can't help it we're so <laughs> It's it's so ingrained in you culturally to want the food you were raised in, yeah. no matter what. Um, and it's comforting. And it's really lovely to yeah. have those channels. You know, there's nothing problematic about food. We can just enjoy it. We can just enjoy food. Um, <laughs> there was this lovely story, again, that my aunt told me. So my aunt is uh, the last living member of my father's family, nuclear family. And... Um, we had always, my dad loved bagels. We would have bagels and lox and cream cheese, like whenever we could access them, basically. Yeah. Um, and it was like a big special thing. And uh, we're not Jewish, like, at all. <laughs> sure, I have yeah. no Jewish ancestry. Um, but I found out, uh, this was just a few years ago, so long after my father had died, they started eating bagels and lox every Friday because they moved to the Bronx. They were in a very Jewish neighborhood and they were Catholic, so they wouldn't eat meat on Friday. Sure, yeah. So on Fridays, they would have bagels and lox. Right. And that was kind of this 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 amalgamation of Jewish culture and their like Catholic Italian side being like, well, we can't eat meat and this is easily available. And, you know, my grandparents both worked. They worked very hard. So it was easy to just pick up bagels and lox. Right. And it's so fun to trace those 
channels yeah and and find where these things come from and be like okay so this is why bagels are like a huge part of my family culture even though we are not jewish at all right yeah i get that (laughs) Like, I I have a sort of, I mean, similarly, right? Yeah. Like, I grew up in Montreal, a very, like, Jewish city with a lot of Jewish food and a lot of Jewish friends. And, like, I, yeah, I'm also now, you know, converting to Judaism. But, yeah. like, I wasn't yeah. for a long time, right? And, uh, you know, ambiguity around my family lineage aside, uh, I always did still feel that connection to Jewish food, right? Especially bagels, especially like all of the sort of Ashkenazi staples really yeah. that are like most common in this part of of North America. And yeah, there is something to that, right? Yeah. Where the geography, the the sort of local food culture of where you are is going to seep into you even if it's not specifically your family stuff and that's really cool right that's what i love is that like we that that's how you end up with people who feel like strong connections both to their family's ancestral italian dishes or whatever while also you know feeling connected to southern food because they just happen to grow up somewhere with strong southern food culture or like you know, like I spent a lot of time in Vancouver as a kid because I lived there and then my grandparents still lived out in BC for most of my childhood. And like I ate a lot of sushi yeah, because <laughs> there was a lot of good sushi there. And like I got that that sort of feels like part of me, even though like I'm not no part of me at all is Asian. Yeah. I still feel that strong connection to sushi. Right. Yeah. Like we get all these little we got all these little opportunities to like grow our internal food genealogy. Yeah. I like that way of putting it. Yeah. Now, I want to talk about passing traditions on to our kids. Yeah, absolutely. And because this is about you, um, let's talk about grilling. Sure. Because grilling, when you say you want to pass on food cultures to our kids, like, mm-hmm. obviously, there are things that, that they love eating that we make. Yeah. Um, they do like schnitzel. They love my bread. But, like, grilling is really the thing that you've cultivated Yeah. as a thing that you do and a thing you do with them, especially with Toby. And when you started grilling it was really a dad thing for you. It was like an empowering sure. like step into parenthood. And we have pictures of you and Toby grilling together from when he was very little. It's true. Uh, so can, can you like talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, so, so this is another interesting one where like I don't have, I didn't grow up with like a strong grilling culture in my family. Yeah. Like my grandpa, I think, has a grill, but I'm not even totally sure about that, honestly. He might not. He might not have ever bothered with right. grilling. I, I could see it going either way. Uh, I don't have strong memories attached to him with grills, at the very mm-hmm. least. And my mom grilled it a little. Like, my mom, you know, saw the convenience of having a barbecue in the summertime. And, like, but we never had a property where that was really, like, the most, like, conducive for us. Like, right. we never lived somewhere where we could just, like, grill on a regular basis. So, you know, I, I have, like, a handful of, like, grilling memories of my mom. But it was mostly just, like, this way I can grill while I smoke. <laughs> Right. And like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, fair enough. You want to smoke while you make dinner, that works. Yeah. But but again, this is one of those things where when you're a kid who grows up without a like father figure directly in your household, you end up with a lot of sort of like um surrogate father figures, I mm-hmm, guess. Mm-hmm. Uh be they your friends' parents or like your parents' friends who you like, you know just their family friends and you end up hanging out with them or whatever Uh, and especially you know once you're a little bit older when you're in your like late teens and you start just doing whatever you want wherever you want Um, and especially you know I grew up in the church and like much as I don't 
like the church anymore and you know there's a lot of shit that I thought was not great about it one thing that was genuinely very good for me was that there was no shortage of like father figure types who Mm -hmm. were around who were willing to let me hang out and you know eat food and chat with them about whatever the hell was going on and uh, I do have like a handful of people who I still think about fondly even though like I don't you know worship the same god as them anymore or believe most of the things they believe but i have these like you know warm feelings about grilling with them right or people you lose touch uh, lose touch with even where you just like yeah no i don't remember i don't know if i'll ever see this person again i wouldn't know how to reach out to them but i remember grilling with them once and like that that cemented something in me that Mm -hmm. cemented a love of cooking over an open fire Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh I, I mean, I've talked before about, like, why I love grilling and why yeah. I feel like that is, like, almost a primal thing, mm-hmm, right? Where, mm-hmm. like, it lets us in a way that is much safer than just, like, lighting a fire and cooking over it, uh, which is nice for me because I don't want total chaos, right? But it lets us feel that sort of connection to the earth yeah. in the way that we cook. Yeah. And, yeah, I just, I feel good and at home when I am standing by a grill, there's something really nice about doing that with the kids, you know? Yeah. Well, and they love it. Like, yeah. they like the food. And they like the they like the, the sort of experience of it, too, yeah. I think. Like, I've noticed the last few times that I've grilled outside, like, they'll, like, watch a little. Yeah. They'll watch, you know, they want to see what's going on on the grate, for yeah. sure. But they also want to see the smoke. You know, yeah. they want to see the flames come out. And, you know, I'm sure part of that is just like, oh, it's kind of cool for kids to see fire in a contained way, right? Yeah. But let's be real. That's cool for me, too. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to see fire in its natural habitat, you know, <laughs> ruining shit. I want to see fire, you know, coming out of a 28-inch diameter circle Mm -hmm. where it's safely contained and I can put a lid over it and everything will be fine and there's Mm -hmm. no risk but it's still this powerful beautiful thing that we can't control otherwise Mm -hmm. and I think there's something really there's something cool about that I don't know I I, like not every thought has to be super deep I just like it you know (laughs) it's cool and it's nice to give those kids like the core memory of like doing that together you know well especially because like like we don't we can't go on vacation we don't go on camping trips we don't have a car we're very limited in what we can do as a family and having those rituals that we do together Mm -hmm. are really meaningful yeah because like i think a lot of those things that are like maybe typical you know memories or whatever of like going on camping trips or fishing trip people fish yeah Yeah, i don't know like that kind of thing like with with my dad i have like a lot of memories of camping and like campfire cooking and canoeing sure and we don't have the resources to do those things Mm -hmm. right now um but we can grill every weekend in the summer and have our neighbors come over and and make it this community family ritual and i think it's been really interesting especially as people who left the church right Mm -hmm. like when you leave the church you lose all this ritual yeah there's all these things that you do communally and as a family that that go away and it's really interesting to be in a position where it's like okay i want to have some ritual (laughs) i want to have some things we do as a family yeah and the only framework I've ever had for that has been religious. Right. And I have no idea how to just, like, make this up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and like, I think we crave a spiritual connection of mm-hmm. some kind. Even the most staunch atheists who don't believe in any kind of higher power will still have some kind of inherent desire for something bigger. Yeah. Right? 
And oftentimes we throw ourselves into things that the world values for that, right? Where we say like, okay, like, you know, the bigger thing here is like that we're a global society. Yeah. Or the, the bigger thing here is, you know, that I'm making a shitload of money for capitalism or whatever. Maybe you don't like consciously believe that, but a lot of the time we believe that, right? We all crave something bigger than ourselves and food can be spiritual even when food is not directly connected to any sort of higher power. Yeah. And like it can be because the food is connected to the earth. It can be because the food is something that you do ritually in a way that makes you think about the food that you're eating, which is something that I love about Judaism is that a lot of the food traditions around Judaism, even if you strip the religious aspects of it are about consciousness around what you're putting into your body and thoughtfulness about the ingredients and like the specific elements, you know, and food can just be spiritual because it connects you with the past of your mm-hmm. family right which is like you know kind of everything we've been talking about today is this yeah. like <laughs> this idea of food as a way to connect to relatives and to yeah. ancestors mm-hmm. and like yeah it makes total sense to to try and establish new traditions around food when you like have no other kind of framework yeah because what better framework is there absolutely and we all we all have it you know no matter what it is no matter who you are no matter what your family food traditions are guaranteed you have food rituals yeah hell eating three meals a day is a ritual (laughs) if you really want to get like pragmatic about it the fact that we have a designated time of day where you eat the same toast and milk or whatever like that is a ritual yep you might not put any spirituality behind it but i guarantee the day you miss it you're gonna feel like your day is all wrong yeah right yeah Uh, this is something i've i've noticed traveling like i once went um uh to nepal where the family i was living with anyhow ate um two meals a day Mm. one mid-morning and one mid-afternoon and then like a snack early and a snack late sure it was so weird sure it was it threw me off so much yeah But it also made me realize, like, oh, yeah, three meals a day is totally arbitrary. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it. Like, it was enough food. It was just, it was just weird. The timing of it was off. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like, I I don't know if you remember, but, like, when we first left the church that we used to go to, we tried shopping around a little to other churches. Yeah. And the rhythms were there, but the 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 feeling of it was wrong yeah or the feeling was there but the rhythm was wrong yeah (laughs) and it's like okay like no like you get used to something and like you know if you're used to three meals a day you can maybe change what those meals are a little bit but you can't change the rhythm of them no right like you can't that that is such a thing that's inherent in us is wanting that cyclical thing and those rituals and those those routines yeah i mean i'm personally this is i've talked with you about this i don't think i've talked about this on the show but like with my writing work and the research I do around it like one of the things that I am the most interested in is our daily routines and how they provide structure for us sure to help us not go crazy when everything is going to shit it's wild that I'm the one with OCD (laughs) Uh, I just put it all into my poetry and um (laughs) and this is something that I like feel very strongly about is that like our daily rituals are so fundamentally important. Mm-hmm. Interruption of those daily rituals is so disruptive. It's just like it is It is fundamentally important to us and the way we make family and the way where we grow. Um, yeah. and, and it's cool. You know, I think bringing it back to dads. Let's bring it back to dads. Let's bring it back to dads Ooh, for daddy, a minute here. Back. A lot of the time the way our culture talks about parenting is 
mothers are the nurturing role and fathers are kind of the structural mm. role in, okay. in some way or another. We don't talk about dads and nurturing mm-hmm. as much as I think we need to. Sure. And I think there's something really like like we talk about moms as being a safe place and like cuddly and huggy and whether or not that's your experience of your mother. Like sure. this yeah. is how we culturally <laughs> talk about mothers, right? And dads are the ones who like you go on the fishing trip with, you toss the ball with, you grill with. Like it's all very about like like activities because mm-hmm. you're not allowed to like kind of access that nurturing. Yeah, yeah. And no I feelings feel, allowed. Exactly. Only sport. But we talk about like the grill, right? There's still food, right? Mm-hmm. Because like in this societal story, the only place dads are allowed to cook is at the grill, right? Mm-hmm. Dads can't cook unless they're going to grill. I've heard so many people say this because I used to be in the evangelical church. Right. Like, my husband can't cook ex- unless he's on the grill, right? Which is nonsense because if you can grill, yeah. you can cook. Yeah. Like it's very easy to, to take that over to the stove. But I feel like that's kind of an alleyway in to talk about dads as nurturing parents. Mm-hmm. Dads are nurturers. Yeah. Dads are, you know, I mean, again, whether or not that is your personal experience of your father or father figure, dads are important to the nurturing and raising of their children. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, we're in a time now where that is more and more allowed to be acknowledged and celebrated. Yeah. Um, but, you know, dads also nourish and nurture and care and cuddle. And, you know, it's it's important to celebrate that. Yeah. Um, and especially you. I am looking at you mm. as I say this because this is especially true of you. <laughs> hey, speaking of uh, routines being important. Did we just totally skip the mid-roll? We haven't done a mid-roll yet. Yeah. Let's do the mid-roll. All right. Hey, hey, daddies. If you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. Maybe share it with a fellow dad or your dad. Share it with your dad. Share it with your dad. Share it with your... Hey, if you're a dad and you're listening to this because your kid sent you this, let me say on behalf of your kid, love you, Danny. Love you. Love you, Pops. Poppy, I love you, Poppy. Hey, Poppy. Love ya. Um, for every new <laughs> Tom didn't have a dad, so they don't really know how to. <laughs> no, I don't know how to express love to a dad. Papa. Papa. Mm, papa. Best friend, Papa. Best friend, Papa. For every new rating review we get during the month of June, we'll be donating $2 to The Depot, our local food bank here in NDG. They can turn every $1 into $3 worth of food for a family in need, which is kind of a magic trick if you think about it. Really and is. Who better to be a person who does magic tricks than a dad you know absolutely corny dads love magic absolutely phil dunphy love phil dunphy favorite one of my absolute favorite one of the best dads. tv dads yeah wow love him yeah be like phil dunphy and turn one to three You're, you'd be functionally donating six dollars worth of food to people who need it so uh, if you want to do some magic fix that step and g- give us a d- description of this episode and rate and review wow yeah you had something you wanted to plug in the middle here? Yeah. Well, we're talking about dads. And as I mentioned earlier, um, my dad died of ALS mm-hmm. almost 11 years ago. It'll be 11 years in August. Um, ALS is a really miserable neurodegenerative disease. Uh, and it was only recently that we've started really having any kind of medical advances in treating ALS. Um, I'm bringing this up specifically also because we have a, a uh, dear family member whose father also has ALS right now. And we missed the deadline for their specific fundraiser. Uh, So I'm just going to put it out there that if you want to donate to ALS research and help stop this really miserable, terrible illness, 
um, you can head to als.ca. We'll put the link in the show notes and make a donation. Any amount helps. Um, just kind of in memory of my dad, in honor of our of our family members, dad, and everybody else who has lost family to ALS because it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. The only other thing that feels worth mentioning here in the mid-roll is that we are a fully audience-supported show. We do not currently have any sponsors whatsoever. Uh, And, you know, we need money to live, to pay bills, uh, to buy food, and to keep doing this show in a way that, you know, is good and And high quality. And sustainable. That's the thing. For every hour that we spend doing this show, that's an hour that we don't spend taking care of ourselves. (laughs) So... (laughs) I mean arguably this is kind of taking care of ourselves i think this is good for us but you know yeah. what i mean like this is an hour that we could be spending making money yeah. uh or cooking or sleeping yeah. all things that are helpful uh but we choose to do this because it brings us joy and because it brings you joy hopefully um and so if you want to help us out you know with the financial side of things you can head to our patreon at patreon.com slash no bad food pod and uh throw us a little bit of money you know a donation of even a dollar a month goes a really long way toward helping us keep the show going. Uh, donations at higher levels obviously also go a really long way. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of really cool perks available. And to Tom, patrons. you just added a perk, didn't I you? Did. Can you tell them about the new perk? I'm excited about this. I did. So I have recently started to dabble in tyromancy or tyromancy. I'm still not clear, but I'm choosing tyromancy. Uh, tyromancy is uh, the use of cheese to predict the future and read people's fortunes uh it's a little bit like palm reading but with cheese uh works along the lines of you know slicing into a nice piece of blue cheese looking at how the veins are veining and listening to it and talking to people through it and like (laughs) like any kind of fortune telling practice like that there's there's a lot of sort of stuff around it yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) But uh, if that sounds like something that would be fun for you to uh, to hear how Cheese thinks your life is going and maybe get some like encouraging words through me through Cheese, uh, you can get that by signing up at our Patreon. It's it's one of the available perks. I love it so much. <laughs> it's it's interesting for me because I I am someone who like you know has always been a little skeptical of this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I see the real value in it, and I also really like to encourage people and give people encouraging messages. And if I can do that through cheese, why wouldn't I? Right? Absolutely. So yeah, head to our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/NoBadFoodPod. Uh, we could really use the money. We could, absolutely. <laughs> this would be a very good time to support us. Extremely good. Extremely yeah. good time There's to support us. a lot going us. on. Yeah. All right. Should we get back to the show? Let's get back to the show. Hop in the car, dads. We're going to drive down to the beach. And by the beach, I mean the rest of the podcast. Vroom, vroom. You mentioned Phil Dunphy. Who are your other top fictional dads? Okay, other top fictional dads... I am a big fan of Bob Belcher. I think Bob Belcher is a good TV dad. Bob Belcher is like who I would be if I decided to grow a mustache. Sure. More or less. Sure. Are there other good TV dads beyond Phil Dunphy and Bob Belcher? I think Jed Bartlett is a pretty solid TV dad, frankly. Okay. Okay. President of the United States, Jedediah Bartlett. Yeah. Yeah. President Bartlett from the West Wing, I think, is a solid TV dad. Yeah. Yeah. He's a solid TV dad. Yeah. Tony Soprano. 
Phil Rosenthal seems like a pretty good dad. I don't know. Yeah, does he count as a TV dad? He's a real person. Well, he's on TV now. He's on TV now. I bet. Phil Rosenthal, if you want to be our dad. Positions we're lo- we're looking. We're accepting applications for dads. Yeah. We're short on dads around here. Paplications. Paplications. Pa. Hey, pa. <laughs> oh, Bert Hummel. Oh, Bert Hummel. Bert Hummel. TV dad and TV daddy. You're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Excellent TV dad. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I'm leaning towards saying Luke from Gilmore Girls, except that I think when he's actually a dad to his actual kid, he's like not great. He's just a really nice like stepdad to Rory a lot mm, of the time. Mm. But like when his actual kid gets shoehorned into the plot, he's like not as great. So sure. Yeah. 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 If we're in the Sherman Palladino verse, we got to yeah. give a shout out to Abe. Oh, Abe. Yes. Yes. Yeah. From Mrs. Maisel. Mm-hmm. Uh, good dad. And do we count? Do we also count? Uh, Moish? Yeah. yeah. Do you I think, think Moish so. counts? I think Moish is a great yeah. dad. Are you kidding? Yeah. He's Always a good supporting dad. his kid. Yeah. Always, you know. Calling him out on his shit. Yeah. yeah. And, and present. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. These are these are good things. Mm-hmm. These are good. There's a rise in good TV dads now, yeah. and I really, really appreciate that. I like it a lot. We're seeing. I think again, it's not about there being more good dads now. It's that we are seeing a broader um, lens on dads, and we're not just seeing the Don Draper model of <laughs> masculinity anymore. Yeah, uh, we're seeing, you know, more of the dads who have always been there. Yeah. Um, and and I really, 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 really like that. Yeah. If we're, you know, just to kind of transition us from TV dads to food yeah. and, and food dads, there is one TV dad who is the biggest food dad at the same time, and that's Guy Fieri, who I think sets a really fabulous example. Absolutely. Of both being a, like, food activist i guess i almost want to say in terms of like he does a lot of work to to feed people and to make sure that people are okay and he does a lot of work to promote food and and do the sort of diplomacy side of it um and all of this at the same time showing his kids how to love food and to be a decent person yeah and i think i mean we talk about guy fieri a lot on this show this is a guy fieri stan account um Exclusively from now on. (laughs) The reason that we do, and again, Guy, we're we're looking for a dad, so please hit us up. Um, The reason I think that Guy Fieri comes up so much on this, I mean, A, he's been very inspirational for you in getting into food media in the first place. Sure. But his approach is very similar to our approach in that it is a joyful celebration of food with no judgmental shit, no no scorning unless you're an egg and i am okay with egg shaming personally a lot of joy a lot of care a lot of focus on community and family and just absolutely no bullshit sure which is the same thing that we are trying to do here yeah so guy fieri our spiritual food dad we love you we love you yeah so much yeah we talked a bunch about my father figure foods what's like the big one for you well we ate it last night (laughs) <laughs> and I know you know that because you you made it for me specifically as comfort food. There we food. go. Yeah. This week has been so crazy that I genuinely forgot for a second what we ate last night, despite having been the one who made it. Yeah. <laughs> I have been having a tough couple of weeks, uh, personally, for reasons I will not go into uh, here, but it's been rough. And last night, Tom decided to make me my comfort food, which is uh, just 
bolognese with, um, we called it meat sauce growing up um i call it meat sauce yeah let's be real. yeah uh italians call it meat sauce <laughs> well i feel like bolognese has to be very specific yeah too, right? yeah i don't so, know if it has a protected appellation (laughs) it's only if it comes from the bologna region (laughs) i called it ground beef sauce growing up Mm. if my parents ever gave me an option if they ever asked me what do you want for dinner that was always what i wanted uh we didn't eat meat very often so it was like very special Mm. we had pasta with tomato sauce a ton but like meat meat sauce which i called ground beef sauce usually because sometimes they would try to sneak in turkey and that didn't fly no no and it's the first thing i can remember learning how to cook um from my dad like learning how to cook down the 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 celery and carrots and and onions in the pan with garlic how to add the yeah doing the sofrito adding the herbs we didn't call it sofrito though again like we didn't use these appellations (laughs) learning how to cook it down Uh, i remember actually it's one of the few food memories i have of my mom is also making tomato Mm. sauce and like cutting the tomatoes into the pot i must have been very little because she got sick when i was two but yeah, that's something my dad taught me how to make that um, ratatouille as well. Um, lots of kind of stewed veggie things. And he's the one who taught me how to cook. He's the one who taught me knife skills, you know, like so whenever I am cutting and protecting my thumb with my fingernails, I'm remembering him show me how to do that right. as a very little kid. Uh, salad dressing, the vinaigrette that I make. Um, and making salad that was the first thing I did when I was like big enough to hold a knife which was probably at Toby's age like around right, yeah. four I started I started being allowed to slice cucumbers for the salad and you know we gardened so there was a lot of like making things from the garden to the stove like it was really special yeah. it was really special there's also a, a meal that I make a lot now um, Tati Germaine chicken mm-hmm. which is something again my dad passed on that's just roasted it's just like roasted chicken legs and and veggies with provencal herbs um really really simple and the veggies cook in the chicken fat as it renders down and it's delicious but yeah i mean my dad was very busy my mm. mom got sick when i was two and she was bedridden for most of my life yeah and my parents had six kids but my oldest sister was already grown and out of the house at that point so there were five of us in the house my dad was we were all homeschooled. <laughs> so my dad suddenly had five kids. He was a pastor. He was extremely busy. And he didn't have a lot of leisure time. Sure, um, yeah. But we would cook together. I would learn how to cook. And that was when we would talk about things. Or we would go to the grocery store together. He taught me how to pick out groceries. Hmm. And the one thing that this is like borderline about food, but I'm going to just bring it up because this is like my special memory. Sure, my yeah. dad was very busy. Because I was so little when my mom got sick, my dad was very, very involved in raising me. Because when I was really little, like, it was really, like, I got five minutes to cuddle my mom every day, and that was, like, all she could handle. On Saturdays, my older siblings had music lessons, and I wasn't big enough for music lessons yet. So we would drop everybody off at their music lessons, and then my dad and I would go to Starbucks. (laughs) And he would get a coffee, and he would get me a hot chocolate, which I could not ask for. He had to ask me if I wanted a hot chocolate okay. I would just I would just stand there he'd be like do you want something do you want a tea do you want a hot chocolate <laughs> um, and this is also why Starbucks is really special to sure, me. Yeah, you know yeah. we would get our drinks and then we would drink them in the car on the way to pick up my siblings again that probably only happened for like a year or two because then he started taking cello lessons with my sister mm. so I would like sit in on the cello lessons while they were going on but it was really nice like that and that was something we continued to do like we would go to Starbucks together it was mm-hmm. a little tradition that we had um and it was really special so that's 
Yeah, that's another little food thing. <laughs> I, love I mean, that. he really taught my taste in everything: coffee, wine, food, like everything that comes from my dad. Mm-hmm. There, there's just like, yeah, he loved <laughs> food. He appreciated food so much. He loved food, and again, like we didn't have a ton of money, we didn't have a ton of time, so most of it was hand, it was homemade. Mm-hmm. But when we moved to Cambridge, we started having access to some of the good stuff more. Mm. Sure. Because there was more around. And oh my God, he tried every wine at Trader Joe's to find the one that he liked best. And he he loved Trader Joe's. He was always going to Trader Joe's and bringing back new stuff. Because my dad, Sagittarius, just like new shit, yes. Like I just, and he would like find something and he'd be like, this is the best thing. I'm so excited about this. So for a while it was like the curry sauces at Trader Joe's. So he would make curries all the time or like, um, they're like treats because things were affordable and mm-hmm. and and yeah affordable and good um good chocolate everything good quality my parents really taught me the value of having even when you don't have a lot of money get a smaller amount of the good quality thing sure because it's going to be more satisfying mm-hmm. than getting the cheap one yeah i get that yeah that, that's something that my family like did a lot as well yeah it's, it's very it's, european yeah. it is well that's <laughs> yeah. it right it's, it's a very european yeah. attitude of go to the market that day know what your budget is get enough that you're going to be okay yeah but like get the nice stuff even yeah. if it's like a little more pricey like you can you can budget that yeah you know you can find a way to make that work because food is important yeah yeah and i mean when we started being able to get good baguette oh my god i think sure. we almost cried like <laughs> They moved to Montreal in 2009 to have more access to these things because my dad really missed French culture. And this was a little bit closer while not being super far away from my family. And one thing that was really lovely. So they lived in a Hunsik, which is a sort of northeast neighborhood of Montreal. Mm -hmm. And um, my dad got ALS. My dad was diagnosed within months of moving to Montreal. He'd already been having symptoms. and yeah, and and being here basically let him go through. He had medical coverage, so he could get diagnosed sure. without it costing an arm and a leg. Yeah, mm, bad simile when we're talking about ALS. Um, <laughs> and then, so he started losing his motor function really quickly, including control of his mouth, his tongue, because ALS. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what happens with ALS basically is your motor neurons shut down. It's a motor neuron disease. Yeah. So all of your neurons that control movement, uh, including you know breathing, chewing, uh, tongue function. But we found there was a French bakery near their house and they made uh, um, mousse cakes, Mm -hmm. which you can eat with low tongue function. Sure. It would be a pear and chocolate mousse. And we would get those made for his birthday because he could eat those right up until his last birthday. He He could eat those birthday cakes. It was really devastating for him to lose the ability to eat on his own. It was really hard because towards the end of his life, he could only have soft things, right? Because of choking hazards. He had to have his liquids thickened. Right. He did not like that with wine. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was hard, you know? It was, it was a, it's a, it's a terrible illness. Yeah. But we found the things that he could still enjoy, too. Mm -hmm. And food was important to him right up until the end. It was an unimportant and valuable source of joy in his life, uh, despite all of the stress. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks for uh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I didn't mean to go so heavy, but <laughs> no, but I think it's I think it's good. I think it's mm-hmm. important, right? Mm-hmm. Like, food brings us joy and comfort, mm-hmm. even when things are hard, mm-hmm. and even when we are at the end. 
yeah. when we're in a spot where we can't, you know, have other things that bring us that joy and comfort, food can still be there for us in mm-hmm. some way. And that is huge. Mm-hmm. And so for anyone who is listening, who has trouble this time of year, yeah. you know, because Father's Day is complicated, right? Yeah. You might not have a dad like me. You might have lost your dad like Tuffer. You might have a dad who's not always the best dad. And mm-hmm. like in all of those cases, like love is complicated, right? Yeah. Love is not an uncomplicated thing. Parents are not an uncomplicated thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Father's Day brings with it a lot of heavy stuff for a lot of people. Um, and you know, if you're listening to this and you're just like, nope, don't relate to that. I love my dad. My dad fucking rules. Um, Yay. I'm, I'm also happy for <laughs> that's you. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's really good for you. G- give your dad yeah. a hug. But no matter what kind of state you're in today, I hope that you can find some joy. Yeah. And I hope that, you know, this helps. Yeah. I want to add to to the like, losing your dad aspect of this Mm. that losing your dad does not have to mean your dad died Mm. there are lots of ways that lots of us lose our parents um even if they're still alive it's true because they don't accept us because they reject us because they're dangerous for us uh and that is as much a loss to be grieved as my loss um and i hope that you can be really gentle with yourself around that and and you know understand that that too is grief yeah and it's okay to to feel it as grief (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah eat something that will bring you joy today Mm -hmm. if it's because it's your favorite thing and you need that eat it if it's because it's your dad's favorite thing and you want to do that in you know remembrance yeah do that Mm mm-hmm if you had a hard relationship with your dad and there was something he never let you eat. <laughs> that. <laughs> eat yeah. that fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> Just know that you are loved yeah. and deserve it. Absolutely. That brings us to the end of our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening to this special Father's Day episode of No Bad Food. If you want to be part of the conversation, tell us how you felt about it. Share your stories about your dads. You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at No Bad Food Pod and individually at Teffer Bear and at Tom Zalatni. If you like this episode and want to help us make the show even better or just want to be part of our online dad, head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod and donate. Give us an allowance, daddy. Daddy, we need an allowance. I want to go to the movies with my friends. Money, please. I want to get a coffee, daddy. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll be joining the ranks of fine daddies like Patrick, Gab, Kendall, and Carlea, Thomas, Killian, Sarah, Angelica, Anne, Andrew, Laura, Chantal, David, and Erica. Our patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show or have your cheese read by Tom. (laughs) If that's exciting for you, head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodbod and make it happen. We also have merch and you can hit the merch link in the description to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at TeePublic. And of course, you can support us for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice or by sharing this episode with your dad. Our theme music is by Zach, Zach Daddy Ingalls, and our cover art is by David, loves it when we call him Big Papa, Flam. You can find links for both of them in the description of this episode. And last but not least, this show was produced by Prime Daddy Tom Zalatni and me, Tefra Jemian, and edited by Top Papa Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. Would you call me a top? You can find out about all the great shows on our network at Upford Network. See you next week. You understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes a little time.
I'm David. I'm Tess. I'm Giovanni. And I'm Greg. And we're Left Trigger, Right Trigger, your video game book club. Each episode, we pick a topic, and each of us brings a video game that we think best fits that topic. Tune into the show to find out how Super Mario Land is all about travel. Or how Bloodborne is a game about sacrifice. Or how SimCity is actually a conspiracy to mine data about human infrastructure. No, we have to stop with this. We're doing a pro- it's a promo. Please stop. Intrigued? A little scared? Us too. Make sure to catch us every other Tuesday on your favorite podcatcher app. See you there. On behalf of the Canadian people, welcome, welcome to, to the Gay, Gay and Grey podcast. Gay and Grey Montreal is a new social group for English-speaking gay elders from the 2S LGBTQIA plus communities. So it's a good way to at least connect with people. Members share their experiences, memories, and opinions on our podcast. Welcome to our community. I hope you feel well. I hope you feel accepted. And I hope that you can share anything that you want. This is some of my story. And I hope you enjoy it. Oh, I have a great story. (laughs) 